This is Maurice Levis, and I was born in Athens, Greece, that rhymes, <laughs> yeah. uh, in 1935, April 1935. Welcome to the Meg Robinson Show, exploring the stories that make us who we are. I'm Meg Robinson, your host and composer of the music you hear in this podcast. This is a four-part series called Through the Eyes of a Child, Swastika Over the Acropolis. Up until the age of six, Maurice had the life of a typical happy child growing up in Athens, Greece. He had a younger brother, his father was a successful merchant, his mother well integrated into the social fabric of Athens. They were Jewish, and this one fact would radically change all of their lives. Part 1. Normal Redefined What was the first inkling that you were potentially in a dangerous situation? I think this is the first inkling was after the Italians surrendered and uh, the Germans took over command of Athens. At that point, we everybody felt threatened. We could see it from our terrace, see the Acropolis and see the German flag going up. Talk about that, the well, emotions involved in that. Well, that was a very grave feeling. I mean, it was uh, very sad. Definitely, everybody felt defeated. And what did your parents tell you was going on? How did they, I'm trying to get into the mind of a, you were then six years old when that happened. Uh, Was, did they, did you get a sense as a child that they were fearful? not at the time. I just uh, know that it was a foreign army that was invading the country, and uh, but uh, I didn't really have any idea what that uh, implied. The, the Italians occupied southern Greece first. That's correct, and... Uh, they, there was no uh, anti-Jewish uh, operations going on from the Italians. And uh, as it turned out, that in Italy itself, the Jews were still f- free to uh, live their lives. Uh, so w- mother had a lot of very close relatives, like first cousins, that lived in Italy, and they came over immediately to make sure that we were in good shape. And in fact, they were very well connected, including the commander of the Italian troops in Athens. We felt fairly very safe being connected like that, which is, in some ways, it was not typical of a typical Greek to be connected to what was considered the enemy, but the Italians were never considered a brutal enemy. Well, the the Germans 
came over and immediately they brought in the the groups that uh, were out to arrest and deport the Jewish population and they started trying to locate all the Jews in Athens. As a matter of fact, there is this uh, story that's verified that uh, they went to the uh, rabbi, the local rabbi, they uh, asked for all the uh, addresses and uh, all the locations of all the Jewish community, which was registered with the rabbi. He uh, told them that he needed a day to put together all the different uh, catalogs. So during the night, there were members of the resistance that came in and uh, burned all the uh, papers that had the addresses and they took the rabbi and went over to the mountains with the uh, resistance fighters. Talk about the occupation in Athens a bit. To, to begin with, you have to realize that it was very hard to get good merchandise or food during the occupation with the Germans. My father would go out maybe once or twice a week and he had to buy stuff in the black market. What is the black market? Black market was when uh, some of the suppliers withheld their supplies and they sold it for more money because, of course, there were not enough supplies to go around. You had to find the, whoever the black marketeers were, which was easy to find, actually, mm-hmm. and then pay whatever it took to buy whatever you wanted to buy. How did that have an impact on you as a child? Well, apparently it did not because my father was a very wealthy merchant. He had plenty of money to buy black market supplies. How did people get information about what was going on? Well, radios were totally forbidden. The Germans had very severe penalties for anybody that was caught with a shortwave radio. The main source of news was BBC in those days, and they had a Greek broadcast as well. But it turned out that uh, my father installed in our apartment, which was probably the uh, sixth floor up, installed a uh, an American-made shortwave radio. In those days, they made some really fancy shortwave radios. Then he had the, the man that was the radio repair guy in our neighborhood, he put in an internal antenna inside the house because you couldn't put an antenna outside the of house. Course. I remember as a kid when the Greek <coughs> broadcast was from BBC, there'd be all these people coming into the apartment one at a time and sitting around the radio and listening to the news. This was the period of time when uh, the British were fighting the Germans in North Africa. It was a famous city named Tobruk that uh, changed hands a number of times, and I remember quite clearly as the changed hands back and forth how, you know, sometimes the cheers would go up and sometimes <laughs> the bent head, heads looking down. You knew that the radio was forbidden. Oh, definitely. There. You, you, and you couldn't 
talk about it. No. How, how was that for you? Were you fearful? Actually, I, I can't speak for other people, but I was not fearful. The psychology for children has been determined, actually. I knew what my psychology was, but I found confirmation from people that have written about this subject, about the psychology of people in the Holocaust was that uh, they uh, were uh, totally fearless. I remember myself, I never had any concern or any doubts or any fears. And what do you attribute that to? I have no idea, but it was the uh, the way that I reacted, and they, apparently they found out it was the way children reacted. There was an incredible adjustment to circumstances. As a child, you look at the world the way it is. And this was it. I mean, you, you immediately adapted to that. In some ways, you know, that involved a lot of people getting killed and so forth. So you might consider that from the point of view of a normal life like we have here in the States right now, that uh, it was a psychotic uh, state of mind. You mean because all these abnormal things Be were going on but you, uh, but it was this. But they became normal. Yeah, because right. that was the only world that you knew. Part of your uh, being able to normalize the experience must have come from your parents, too. I mean, they must not have transmitted fear to you. No, especially my mother was uh, very fearless and very aggressive in taking care of whatever needed to be taken care of. When did you start to realize that Jews in particular were in danger? The, the Jews in Thessaloniki that was under German occupation from the beginning of 1941. Where is that? Thessaloniki. Mm -hmm. That's in northern Greece. Okay. It's a major city in northern Greece. The Jewish community there had already suffered dramatically with the Jews being arrested and sent, sent to concentration camps. And uh, some of the Jews had escaped and went, came down to the Italian zone mm -hmm. and uh, had related those stories. And, you know, in some way, they were so incredible that the community had a hard time believing that anything like that was going on. Do you think your parents believed it? I have no idea. Mm -hmm. at this point. Were you hearing any of those stories? I did not child? hear any of those. Mm -hmm. Once, of course, the Germans took over, they immediately started looking for locating the Jewish community with an eye towards arresting them and send them to a concentration camp at some point. And what was your awareness of this in Athens as a child? Well, there, there were rumors Sometimes uh, there was this wild rumor which could be true. In those days, anything could be true, believable, because of the German atrocities that uh, we suspected but were not quite believing that uh, they would stop a bus out in the country somewhere looking for Jews trying to escape, probably from the German to the Italian zone and uh, they would get everybody to take down their all the males to take down their pants 
to see if they were circumcised. It didn't sound too out of sight. I mean, basically, in those days, it sounded like something that we could believe the Germans would do. So your father, how did it sort out for him? They confiscated all his stores, all the, the stores that they had and all the merchandise. So they lost all of that immediately. The only thing left, he was very lucky. He had invested heavily in real estate. That estate was essentially saved for later on when we came back to Greece. And your father did something else that was, I think, pretty significant in terms of your passports. Talk about that. Well, he did something else that is significant in in terms of the fact that uh, it saved our lives, most certainly and definitely saved our lives, because the community was a Sephardic community and uh, had ties to uh, Spain and Portugal from, obviously, many centuries ago. Then let me just interrupt to say Sephardic Jews are primarily from the South and from, from Spain. That's that, correct. That's their culture, so go ahead. Yeah, yeah they are from Spain and, and Portugal, too. I mean, uh, the... Uh, that was the Jewish community that uh, was essentially thrown out of Spain. So he applied and obtained uh, Portuguese passports. All considerations, uh, we were Portuguese citizens living in Greece at that point. Well, there were attempts by the Portuguese and the Spanish government, not necessarily the government, but the, the people that were at the embassies in Athens to try and um, help save Jewish lives. I'm not sure whether he had uh, to uh, pay any money for it. Uh, I suspect strongly that he did, but uh, maybe not, because there's a lot of situations like that where that was not a consideration. And why was it safer to have a Portuguese passport? Well, Portugal and Spain were pro-Axis powers than pro-German, basically. As such, they uh, merited consideration from from the Germans. As a Portuguese citizen or a, sp- a Spanish citizen, if you were arrested, you became a high-value prisoner because the idea was that you would be repatriated to your country of origin. Our family went into hiding for a while. Where did you hide? Well, we, we made an arrangement with uh, a Christian family to go to move into their house. And uh, we did that for, I can't remember how long, but maybe it was like a month or two. When, after Father got the Portuguese papers, then we went out, we came out of hiding. Mm-hmm. So for a, a mo- one or two months, you were in hiding. And during the time that you were in hiding, did you go out at all or were you... St- Stayed no, in the house. No, we we were very constrained, and uh, we couldn't even <clears throat> go to the balcony because the neighbors would know that uh, there were other people living in the place where the other family was hosting us. Yes, and uh, what do you think motivated this Christian family to take you in? 
Well, there were people that wanted to help, and uh, as far as I know, there there is uh, there are a lot of people that are recognized as being helpful in that respect. So here you are, and I know what what uh, eight year old boys um, are like. They're hugely active. They're noisy. Uh, how did all of this work out for you as a child during that time? Well, we had to be kept under strict discipline, and uh, they uh, made it clear that uh, we had to keep it a secret that we were living in that family so that we, had, uh, we felt responsible that we had to be very secretive about it. And you were able uh, to do that? We were, generally speaking, I mean, there were... A few times that uh, inadvertently going out on the balcony, for example. But I remember vaguely that uh, we saw some Italians working, and then we also saw some Italians laying down, which was looked like they were dead mm-hmm. along the, along the line. Did you see that as a child? Yes, but of course we had seen dead people in Athens before that when the Germans captured uh, a number of black marketeers. And one day we woke up and we walked around to some of our uh, gardens out there and there were seven people hanging from lampposts. And you saw this? Yes, yes. And those were black market. They told us they had signs saying those uh, people that they were caught in the black market. And what? How did you react to that? It, it it did not generate any sense of fear or uh, anything uh, intimidation of any kind, uh, as far as I remember. I just thought that was that's the part of the psychosis. That's a psychotic world. That yes. that was that was the real world. Maurice's real world psychosis, as he describes it, is about to get much worse. Ultimately, there would be no safe place to hide. Stay tuned for part two of this series, Through the Eyes of a Child.